Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Dr. Marie Rubisbauer, who is Archdiocesan, the Director of Music, Cathedral Organist at St. Cecilia Cathedral in Omaha, Nebraska, which houses the landmark Martin Pazzi Opus 14 dual temperament pipe organ. Marie Rubisbauer joined the staff of St. Cecilia as cathedral organist in 2003, and since 2005, she has directed the cathedral and archdiocesan choirs and serves as director of the School of Music in St. Cecilia Institute for Sacred Liturgy, Music and the Arts. Marie holds master's and doctoral degrees in organ from the University of Kansas, as well as an undergraduate degree from the Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Her major teachers include James Higdon, Mary Helen Schmidt, uh, Roger Davis, and Sherry Rhodes. A significant mentors in organ and harpsichord include Susan Marchant, uh, James David Christie, and Edward Parmentier. Marie is founding artistic director of the Omaha Bach Festival and Omaha Baroque, an organization dedicated to the study of performance of early music. Marie has collaborated extensively with her husband, Dr. Michael Bauer, professor of organ and church music at the University of Kansas. With Michael, she has published several articles and is a contributing author to the book Leading the Church's Song. Recently, they performed the complete organ works of Dietrich Buxtehude. She has also written a chapter in the book Durufle, The Last Impressionists. Uh, her choral compositions are published by Hinshaw and Morningstar Music Publishers. Since 2010, she has served as organ instructor on the Creighton University faculty. In this conversation, Marie shares her ideas about the work of the church musician as it relates uh, specifically in her work of St. Cecilia, cathedral organist and uh, the leader of musical life in that great congregation. You will hear so many great insights in this conversation and I hope you will find it inspiring. Let's go to the show. So, Marie, uh, I'm so delighted um, uh, that we are finally having this conversation uh, I've been waiting to have it for some months now, and uh, uh, thank you so much for for being so generous with your time, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you as well. Uh, fantastic. Uh, today we'll be talking, of course, about your organ playing journey, and of course uh, you're known uh, to the organ world uh, as the organist um, and music director at the fantastic uh, St. Cecilia Cathedral uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, which houses, uh, um, I don't know, we can can say a unique organ by Martin Pazzi. We'll talk about that later, but uh, how would you, uh, how would you you, uh, briefly describe uh, um, this instrument in, in a few sentences? Well, the organ at St. Cecilia's uh, went in in 2003, and it's built by the artisan organ builder from Roy, Washington, near Seattle, Martin Pazzi. Martin Pazzi uh, did his initial work. He's from Austria, 
and did his initial work with Rieger and uh, then Carl Wilhelm in Canada. This organ is just a prize. Um, it is a dual temperament organ mm-hmm. crafted in the um, Germanic style, but the two temperaments are um, an 18th century inspired um, well temperament, and then embedded within the well temperament are, uh, are um, intervals that make it a quarter comma mean tone. So it has so many beautiful, pure thirds that can be used when the mean tone temperament is engaged. Um, it has 55 stop uh, in the well-tempered side, but the core mean tone has actually 29 stops. And uh, so it's very, uh, very beautiful and very large for a mean tone instrument. Um, it is uh, in an environment in the cathedral, a Roman room, uh, exquisite uh, architecture, perfectly proportioned, that has about seven seconds of reverberation. So the uh, beautiful organ and the acoustic and uh, uh, visual beauty of St. Cecilia's just makes a stunning setting. Fantastic. I remember, Marie, uh, first meeting you in Omaha uh, for the inauguration um, ceremony of that instrument, right? Some 12 years ago now. Uh, do you remember that splendid evening? Oh, it, it was uh, a pinnacle uh, moment in my life to uh, be able to play um, the inaugural recital at the um, at the cathedral. Um, the uh, program that uh, I designed along with Kevin Vogt, who was the um, uh, executive director of the Scola Cantorum at St. Cecilia's, uh, we designed a program that uh, was called the Embodiment of Harmony, and uh, it used um, literature from all um, all eras, but really was focused on the concept of of, uh, of harmony as um, as the organ as an expression of um, a physical realization of harmony um it was just a, a really amazing um concept of a of a program um including um kind of reference to saint cecilia herself patron of course of music and often seen with organs uh in in the images and uh, also the poem the ode to saint cecilia's Day by John Dryden. So it was really an exciting program and and uh, a wonderful way to introduce this organ to the world. Yes, yes, and um, at some point, um, of course, Olivier Latry played right uh, then uh, in that cathedral. That's right. His splendid improvisations on the on the windows, I think, uh, of the cathedral, right on the themes of the windows. Yeah, the, the the windows, the clerestory windows, uh-huh. the highest uh, windows that wrap around the cathedral are all dedicated to great hymns of the church, and they are uh, in somewhat of a liturgical order as well. So when um, Olivier Latry came uh, and played the first time, mm-hmm. he played um, kind of a, 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 a promenade, which... 
uh, used a little theme to tie the improvisation together, but uh, the windows are Magnificat, Anima Mea, um, Gloria Nixelsis Deo, Stabat Mater, Victime Pascali Laudes, um, uh, Veni Sancte Spiritus, Pangelingua, um, Dies Irae, and then concluding with the Te Deum. So all of those amazing hymns that are uh, the core of our faith and of our repertoire uh, were the subjects of this amazing improvisation. And um, I think it's very memorable and uh, such a beautiful thing that uh, ties the organ and the church together. And of course, uh, it was recorded, that recital was recorded by Pipe Dreams. And uh, people around the world can really listen in uh, to that spectacular evening and uh, listen to what was uh, being played at that evening. Not only um, Olivilla Tree's improvisations, but the entire entire event was recorded, I think, too. Um, Yep, that's right. I'll make sure. So Olivier Latrie, oh, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Olivier Latrie came back a few a few years later. People remembered him from the first time he was here, and uh, the second time he returned uh, just a few years ago, um, the cathedral was filled for this organ recital. Two hundred people beyond capacity. So. Uh, many people were standing in the aisles and sitting on the steps uh, in order to hear him again. So Olivier has a beautiful tie to this instrument. Once in my life, uh, I've been to a concert uh, here in Vilnius uh, when the church was fully packed. The the people were gathering uh, not only in pews but standing around and uh, even b- behind the altar. It was completely and that's uh, when uh, Guy Beauvais played from from Switzerland here in Vilnius at St. John's oh. and that was that was amazing experience for me the, I, I can imagine that evening uh, when uh, Olivier Latrie came for you was also very special evening very special indeed mm-hmm. so Marie uh, of course uh, uh, the organ, this spectacular instrument that you are uh, playing in Omaha, is not your first instrument, right? Uh, what was the first instrument that you t- touched? Uh, basically, do you remember uh, the first experience, experience, the first encounter with the organ in your life? I do. Um, and it was when I was growing up in Minnesota, in the northern part of the United States, Yes. Where um, I was, uh, I was uh, a member of a small Lutheran church in a rural area, and they had a pipe organ. And so, uh, from the time I was born, I was hearing uh, pipe organ. Um, I took piano lessons as a child, and my father was one of the church organists. And at a certain point, he just decided that it was time for me to play the organ. So I essentially was set on the bench at about age 13 and uh, began playing for Lutheran services there. Mm -hmm. The name of that church was Holy Trinity Lutheran in Lakefield, Minnesota, um, a beautiful area of Minnesota. 
and uh, a rural country church. Well, that these early experiences, of course, are life-changing, right? Because the organ is uh, with you up to this point and probably beyond. Uh, it, it's your um, lifelong pursuit, right? Because of that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in fact, there's a, a beautiful story unfolding right now at that very place uh, where, um, where I grew up. They are uh, receiving um, an organ that belonged to another church that uh, is actually uh, installing a new pipe organ. And um, their uh, very tiny organ uh, just uh, collapsed in the past year. And so uh, in a few months, I'll be going to um, help play a dedication of an organ that is being um, put in there again, and uh, it makes me very happy that this small uh, community is really interested in keeping that tradition going. In fact, it was the young people at that very church that that uh, said when they had the option between pipes and an electronic organ, uh, they said, we must have a pipe organ. So I'm uh, very excited to be Uh, going back and and helping them with their celebration. Fantastic. Uh, These young people, of course, will be so thankful for you and so so grateful for your... um you know, generosity, and uh, just like somebody else inspired you to take up organ playing, and probably you will be an inspiration for them too, don't you think? Well, I certainly hope so. Mm. Um, I am always amazed at how um, open and curious youth are to this, and uh, right now I'm teaching uh, several students, and uh, three of them happen to be um, uh, in high school and even in junior high and one in grade school. And uh, I'm just so impressed at how sensitive and how um, open they are to exploring just the beautiful sounds of pipes. And uh, particularly, um, they're really interested in um, what can happen on a tracker organ. And uh, so uh, it's very exciting. And of course, you have uh, so much experience uh, in playing trackers organs, right, uh, in Omaha. And um, and of course, tracker is so much different from electro-pneumatical, right, that many p- uh, p- people play in 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 US. Um, can you can you describe a little bit uh, for our listeners what's the difference in touch when you play the tracker organ and the and the electronic or or the pneumatical? Well, when when I um, describe it to people, uh, what it is like in in a, in a metaphor that everybody can understand, the tracker allows for you to open the air into the pipes, open the palate directly from the keyboard. It's mechanical, and it is like the nuance of diction in language. And so the way we communicate with each other, there are so many nuances that can be communicated in really subtle ways. Just how you speak, how you sing, your hands can really do the same thing on an organ when the palates are connected mechanically to the keyboard. 
Um, otherwise, in an electro-pneumatic instrument, there has been a decision basically for the pipe to be opened or closed, um, depending on the electrical current that is um, uh, translated from the keyboard to uh, the um, uh, to when the pipe is open. And so I really think that there's there's not even a comparison. In, in fact, it's speaking a um, living language that's so close to um, the way we subtly communicate um, when we're playing on tracker instruments, particularly those that have been really well regulated. Um, I think it just makes all the difference. And um, I, I'm really excited that uh, the young students really understand it and they, um, they change how they play and they can discover so many subtleties when they play. You know, Marie, I love the word you used just a minute ago. Uh, when we play, uh, we communicate, right? Uh, especially on the tracker organ, this communication uh, between the the pipes and the and the and the keys are uh, through mechanical devices, right? And uh, I love this idea of communication because uh, music is like a, a real language, right? That we have to somehow transfer from from sounds into people's minds don't you think well i think so and i find myself often um when when trying to speak about music uh eventually getting to the phrase well that's why we have music is because it can communicate so many things even higher or just with an understanding or a knowing between human beings that sometimes words just cannot do. Exactly. Where uh, where the words uh, cannot uh, express our, I don't know, thoughts, ideas, feelings, then the music come into play, right? And um, Yes, I... I I believe it, and and uh, it's not a wonder that uh, a lot of our theologians in... in um, in the various uh, denominations of the church have have really said that music is um, a, a high art of expression and and uh, can just carry so much more than words alone you know marie uh, i think uh, in in uh, in omaha saint cecilia cathedral you have so so amazing environment uh, uh, because of that communication happening between you, the musicians, and also uh, between the the clergy, the the the, the priests, and and the bishops, probably, uh, do you f do you feel their um, support what for what you're doing? I do. I uh -huh. I uh, think that it's um, it's clear that people understand the clergy are supporting the important role of music um, as um, we work together uh, in formation of the assembly that sings. Uh, music is uh, presented to the assembly as something that is, um, that is theirs to, uh, to own, theirs to use, theirs to uh, wrap around their prayer, as you would say. Um, uh, I, there is a strong sense of support 
and understanding that um, that music uh, chorally and um, through the choir and through the choir of the assembly that's gathered, as well as the organ, really helps to in, invigorate and complete uh, the prayer that is offered by the whole community. And this community Part of, of my job... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I interrupted I was you. Doing, uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say that my role, my role in the Archdiocese of Omaha is to provide different kinds of formation, and it's not just to musicians, but also I spend time with priests and with uh, with deacons in their various roles in uh, musical liturgy. And um, it's interesting how this works in liturgy because it's not like complete pieces of, of uh, music that we would understand at a concert, but it's almost like a, a musical conversation that when, when um, singing or tone is added uh, to text, as in chant, uh, both in English and in Latin, that uh, it becomes a dialogue, kind of like a chanting dialogue. Um, and it's a special kind of singing that is, uh, that is beyond just singing a piece of music. It is singing communication. And the organ really participates in that to... Uh, weave melodies around what is happening uh, in the chanting of the liturgy itself. Mm-hmm. And what would you say, uh, Maria, for the people who feel that in their congregation they lack this kind of communication between them and the, the congregation and between the clergy and the musicians, uh, there is no connection, right? What would you recommend for people to do in this case? Well, a couple of things um, that we have already done. Um, in 2011, the English-speaking church received a new translation of the Roman Missal. And so that was an opportunity to really bring people together for classes to learn how to jump in and give it a try. Um, one of the things that has prohibited that from being successful in many places actually is acoustic, that um, if, if uh, buildings that are made for public worship are too dry, if they don't have any um, reverberation, then it can be very difficult for the songs to actually be wed or the chance to be um, dialogical in a really successful way. So people have to work hard at doing that. But as far as um, putting chant to, uh, to text, I think the um, thing that we can do is, is uh, just start very simply. Um, there are simple dialogues of the Um, liturgy that are just a simple call and response, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, or um, an amen that is chanted at the end of the prayer. 
But uh, if everyone is um, committed to giving it a shot, we have found a lot of success in the Archdiocese of Omaha, where places that did not use um, chanting um, were able to engage with this uh, just by taking it one piece of the liturgy at a time and committing to small steps. And then you can grow from there. Have you uh, ever encountered uh, a backlash from uh, from people who, for example, uh, like more of a pop tradition, pop music, uh, and uh, guitar music, right? Uh, um, uh, and they maybe are opposed to the instrument, to the organ. Have you ac- ac- encountered those kind of people? And how, if if, if yes, uh, how did you um, handle this situation? Well, yes. I think that what happens um, is uh, that we all get so used to being in our own world. And um, and uh, one thing that um, is interesting about our uh, time is that people choose where they are going to go to church. Um, we are very mobile. People can hop in their cars and go to any place that they want to. Um, in former times, and in and even in um, other dioceses, for example, uh, people may be encouraged to attend the church that is in their parish. And what happens, or, or in their geographical parish, close to where they live, And what happens there is that um, there is more of a diversity of who is actually worshiping together, and um, communities are um, are gathered not based on what their preferences of music are or preferences of a pastor or preferences of a style but that they are gathering because they are all coming together for liturgy in one place. And they have to work out these uh, situations uh, maybe a little bit um, with uh, that they have to confront these situations of dealing with the fact that different people have different uh, preferences. Another way to approach this, and I have used this um, in our teaching, um, is that the Church gives us a liturgy. The, the Church gives us a heritage of, of uh, a treasury of sacred music, and part of our role is to, um, to seek what is in that treasury to open up that chest and to find a way to uh, to use it, to explore it, to get to know it, because the universal church is broader than our place and time right now. So I think um, regarding the organ, its acoustical properties, it's um, the fact that it, it is made to fit a specific building, a specific community, it's acoustical without um, support of amplification, uh, is one of those instruments that was created specifically for the Church. And uh, 
for a church, for a setting. And so it um, has the capability of leading large groups of, um, of worshipers together. Um, but I think what happens is that to, to uh, bring people uh, close to the organ, to demonstrate its variety, to, uh, to give examples of um, all of the different points in time that it is served, I hope, helps people to understand it better. As far as um, thinking about how, uh, how to catechize or how to form uh, people in um, liturgy and music, I think one has to just go to the liturgy itself and start not with the organ, but start with singing and start with the texts and, uh, and find a way to, um, to begin at the heart with the, with the texts of the liturgy itself. And um, so that's uh, what we do when we, when we try to form large groups of people in a certain way is exposure and, uh, and also listening uh, so that there can be a greater understanding um, between people and uh, why, you know, why think, why decisions are made, how decisions are made in liturgical music uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. I think uh, this communication uh, through text, right, is important through, through, through sacred text, universal text, right? And uh, organ just supports that and empowers people to, um, to take in this message. Uh, so, Marie, um, when you have, uh, when you're leading this musical life in your congregation, do you do you have a freedom to choose what you want, uh, or y- do you have uh, some boundaries set for you? Well, that's kind of an interesting um, question because the the um, the freedom to choose comes with boundaries. Um, of understanding, I would say. So uh, at my age now, several decades into my career, I'm making very different decisions than I did uh, maybe 20 or even 30 years um, earlier. Um, One of the beautiful um, features of the formation that I receive from the uh, sacred documents of the church is um, an instruction uh, for me to create a balance, and that balance would be um, liturgical, musical, and pastoral sensitivity um, to everything that I do. And so those boundaries are not boundaries just for uh, that are imposed on me, but these are boundaries that are an agreement really uh, within the whole church. Um, Not a single person can change the liturgy. We all receive the liturgy. And so uh, my judgment is um, uh, regarding how closely things adhere to the liturgical norms, also then tempered by the best possible music, that can um, can support that, 
and then um, also uh, being pastorally sensitive to the community that is at hand. And so those guidelines um, are not just imposed on me, but that it's kind of a shared contract between um, everyone who is uh, is a part of this process. So um, the same rules that apply to me are applying to the priest celebrant and applying to the other uh, ministers of the liturgy. So um, there's a phrase in the great hymn, O God Beyond All Praising, um, at the very end, it uh, talks about offering a sacrifice of praise. So I guess over time, um, in addition to thinking about uh, programming what I personally really would like to uh, see done or, or hear done or music that I like, I find uh, myself um, being guided and, um, and humbled by uh, this idea of sacrifice, and that comes, that's when the whole community comes together to offer something that God gave to us first. So um, it's a beautiful thing, and I, I really appreciate the gift of all of this formation that is, uh, is a part of the, the um, Catholic Church's uh, uh, great structure uh, for liturgical music. Well, yes, I like uh, how you describe this musical sacrifice, right? When when entire congregation comes together in in worship, and uh, just uh, a wish from from the organist part to to play some extravagant uh, music, uh, like like a concert music, would not really be appropriate, right? Uh, for this kind of uh, liturgical idea to to come together and to to give praise or sacrifice musical uh, musically um, so so what you're saying probably makes total sense um, but for for very very you know uh, young and um, uh, ambitious musicians they have to sometimes um, feel a little bit humble and uh, uh, and uh, feel empathy, empathy, right, with others. Uh, feel what others would be would enjoy. Not only not to think only about uh, themselves, but also about the uni- universal whole, um, as as as, a, as an idea. Yep, that is really true, and and I'm I'm uh, really convinced that part of what the the musical presence in the liturgy does is to, um, in in an organic way, to intensify and to not just add heart or feeling to what is is, uh, being expressed in the liturgy, but to add intensity. So that intensity sometimes can be even in the form of silence, Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be in the in the form of dynamic. It can be in the form of of even uh, startling harmony, um, consonance, dissonance, because all of those things are really part of um, the the um, the great story 
whether expressed in uh, the tradition or expressed in the in the in the scripture, um, all of those intensities are um, are are seeking um, a uh, a closer um, connection with God. So uh, the organ uh, can actually help to tell those stories. And of course, uh, in telling stories, organ is probably. Uh, beyond any any other instrument, right? Like guitar or piano, uh, with its uh, capabilities of colors and uh, technological advances. So, so people not always appreciate the the grandeur and uh, majesty of of organ and possibilities it presents. But the the work of an organist, the job uh, and duty of an organist, must probably uh, encompass uh, those stories, right? Musical stories, and uh, and uh, make uh, make uh, make them uh, connect with with congregation in a musical way, in a satisfying way, not to overstep their boundaries, of course, not to be selfish. But sort of, sort of thinking about educating people also, don't you think? I think so. I think you're you're correct in that. Um, this idea of stories or narrative is um, is what connects um, abstract thoughts to the reality of people's lives. So, in some ways, where um, a homilist will open up the the word of god in the form of a of a homily or or a sermon in preaching that the organ can offer insight uh in into thoughts that might be fleeting otherwise mhm so it's like a musical sermon then right it is. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of Bach and, and the musical offering, or that phrase, and um, often I I think about that. Exactly. So, uh, when you are leading this musical life in your congregation, Marie, um, uh, do you do you feel um, possibilities of extra liturgical activities as well uh, to do some? some education, uh, musical education for people after the liturgy, after the Mass? Yes, sometimes before and sometimes mm-hmm. uh, after, and um, or sometimes just at, simply at another time mm-hmm. when people can come uh, to gather. So uh, over time I've, I've had lots of classes over the years, some in hymnody, some in understanding the Church's vision, in, in um, its liturgical music, in Gregorian chant, um, exploring the organ. Um, we often give tours of the organ um, after, after Mass. We give concerts, um, prayer services, that kind of thing. And then even, uh, for example, in the summertime at St. Cecilia's, we have a very simple liturgy. It's ordinary time, mm-hmm. and um, and so uh, the and we have a lot of visitors as well. So we have a very simple mass setting, and um, uh, this summer and for the last couple of summers, we have used 
simple English chants. And we've done the um, propers of the Mass itself and the way it is presented in our books is in Gregorian chant notation, in square notation. So for many weeks uh, over the years, I have stood up in front of a congregation with a poster with gigantic Gregorian chant nooms and actually teach people how, how to read the notation. Uh, the notation that we use for our um, congregational chants is very simple, two and sometimes three notes to a Gregorian chant noon. Uh, but uh, it's uh, actually a, a chance to get them uh, aware of the notation and to, to read the notation in front of them and uh, for me to have a chance to have some connection uh, to them and be able to talk about topics for just a few moments, maybe even just a minute before Mass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the idea of educating uh, your congregation before the the Mass because... Um, not only you you get uh, the uh, all of all of the people come together and uh, get better and better over time but people you know what they feel they feel that you care that you care you're not only doing your job as an organist it's not probably required what you're doing or you're describing but you care enough uh, to to go Go in front of them and uh, and uh, uh, appear v- vulnerable, right? And uh, appear appear uh, sort of a caring a caring person, and they will respond so much better after that, don't you think? Well, that that's a very interesting point that I had not thought of, but it definitely um, gets me more acquainted with people. And they have a connection mm-hmm. uh, to to me as their music director, and uh, yes, I think that actually helps. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, uh, when you invest some some time and energy uh, with them, they probably will feel uh, more eager to invest invest their energy and time with you, with your other ideas, right? Uh, for example, let's say you want to, to present a concert after, after mass or special festival. Uh, they will be, fe- they will feel connected with you and the entire congregation. Uh, they feel like it's, it's there, their their um, thing, you know, and not not not. It's just the musicians' uh, prerogative, but it's ours as a community. So, so little by little, what you are doing, I think, will will reap many many fruits over time. I think it it does. Um, another connection is that when people have special moments in their lives, when they are receiving. Um, you know, the sacrament of marriage or there's a funeral, um, then I get closer to the families um, who are coming together for those purposes. And uh, it seems like after those events, we have a personal connection. And, of course, that always helps. Um, One of the things that is happening this year for the uh, St. Cecilia Cathedral Choir is that we have received an invitation to uh, join with 
with the uh, Sistine Chapel Choir at the Vatican and with uh, a total choir of 300 to sing for the closing mass of the Year of Jubilee of Mercy. So we will be going to Rome um, and uh, celebrating that mass uh, with Pope Francis. And uh, so for the past couple of months, we have been working at ways to help the um, to help our community and our diocese know the cathedral choir more um, personally. In addition to the music that they make, they, they're at all of the ordinations, all of the special services with the bishop, as well as uh, Sunday mornings with our congregation. We have done several things um, to uh, to help people know them personally. Um, part of that is as even as simple as instead of staying in the balcony that the choir comes downstairs and stands right beside the congregation, spreads out, and sings with the congregation a closing hymn or um, or something. So proximity and being able to look into the eyes of your neighbor uh, means that you see a recognition um, as well. Um, so that has been um, a beautiful experience unfolding. Um, we're very excited about bringing the intercessions, the prayers of people here in Omaha to Rome to lay at the tomb of St. Cecilia, where we will be singing an homage uh, to St. Cecilia and uh, uh, singing Vespers with the Benedictine nuns that are cloistered there. Um, it's a really beautiful connection to have um, the opportunity to sing right there and to be with our own musical patron and patron of the diocese. So we're thrilled about that, and that brings um, a real special opportunity for the St. Cecilia community here to be engaged. So again, we feel very connected, and I think that has played a big role in um, our congregation feeling connected to our music ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, that will be a spectacular opportunity for for the congregation to 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 enjoy uh, the journey together. Right? Uh, it, it's it's not a mass uh, in 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 the cathedral. It's entire trip. Right? It's like a like a long long trip trip that people will remember for a long time. Oh, it is uh, very special. Um, we have. Uh, 50 people going, 30 are singers, 20 are um, additional people uh, going. And um, uh, one thing that has happened is that the diocese, another part of our diocese, has also planned a second pilgrimage to accompany our pilgrimage. So there are two pilgrimages uh, from Omaha happening at the same time. Uh, I suspect that this um, historic mass will be um, televised and available across the globe so people can even be uh, involved here uh, back home while we are there. So it's exciting. We're really working hard to get there and get prepared. Fantastic. Uh, will any uh, young people, uh, youth will join you probably too? We have uh, five high school students, mm-hmm. actually, who are regular members of the cathedral choir. 
that's one of the distinctive characteristics of our choir is that it is really young. I uh, jokingly say it's average age 25. And um, so they, they um, are very youthful, uh, a beautiful, youthful sound. Um, many college students are involved in the cathedral choir and um, uh, a special uh, group that has been um, a key component of our choir are our section leaders, which we call the Scola Ceciliana, and many of them are actually music teachers from Omaha, and so we have uh, a lot of skill and a lot of youth uh, in our choir. Well, that's that's fantastic. I think uh, it shows that there is bright future for St. Cecilia Cathedral and its congregation, I think, and its organ, too, and its music program. That's right. So in uh, the summer of 2017, we're uh, very excited to host a conference that will be yet unveiled, and maybe this will be something that you can announce officially a little bit later, but we are presently planning um, a festival for women organists in June, and um, it is under the auspices of an organization called Muse Forum, M-U-S Forum, mm-hmm. and uh, we are going to be gathering people from all over, um, but particularly to explore women organists. Fantastic. I think... Uh I think uh, this is a terrific setting, a terrific, uh, terrific place uh, to for this kind of conference, because uh, you know firsthand what what it is to to lead a musical uh, musical life in this congregation and being a woman, right? Well, that's right. With uh, with a female patron, there is um, a, a special energy there um, with Saint Cecilia. And um, our own history has um, a strong component of, of uh, women in leadership. For 50 years, the organist and music director at St. Cecilia's was a woman named Winifred Flanagan. And she was very competent as an organist and choral master and uh, continued her studies uh, by going by train to Philadelphia to study at the Curtis School of Music there. And um, right now there is a strong uh, group of women and young girls who are actually studying the organ. Not only women, uh, but it is um, characteristically um, a large number of women that are studying right now. So we're very excited and think this is a natural place our campus is beautiful with a, not only the cathedral, which houses the posse, but two smaller organs by Gene Bedient, uh, a Lincoln, Nebraska builder. And um, then we have two organs in the St. Cecilia Institute, as well as uh, a museum and an art gallery um, and uh, lots of classroom space and studio space. So we think this will be a beautiful place to host a conference. Well, uh, it it will certainly be an amazing opportunity for 
for women uh, of of our profession to come together and to share ideas about probably the future, right? And um, I've just read an article uh, that in Britain, in 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 the UK, uh, there is a shortage of of women organists, and majority of organists are men. I think that that is um, true around the country. When I um, go to my national cathedral musicians conference, uh, it is mostly men, just a very few women. Um, so we uh, so we just need to uh, help by teaching and uh, uh, giving exposure to this fine art, and um, also encourage. Uh, encourage people to consider majoring in this uh, beautiful tradition uh, because it can bring a lifetime of joy and beautiful service and and um, an important part of the church. But you know what fascinates me, for example, that women are very, very curious, uh, innately, uh, basically. uh, Whenever I travel with organ demonstrations across this country in Lithuania, uh, and I meet uh, young girls, teenagers, probably most of the time at the end of the demonstrations, uh, the girls would ask me, you know, uh, is there any place uh, in Lithuania where they teach uh, organ playing? You know, they, they, they have this idea already in their minds. So uh, I, think, uh, I think those, uh, those extra liturgical activities that you do, of course, uh, educational activities will... will 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 uh, I think uh, help uh, women in in this profession or also in this country? I really am hoping for that to happen, and uh, we are definitely seeing it right here, right now. So mm-hmm. um, I'm excited, and uh, hopefully people can uh, come to Omaha and uh, experience both the Pazi organ, the cathedral, and um, and gather together as women. Uh, for uh, for organ uh, composers as well will be there, so uh, it'll be a good a good opportunity. Fantastic, uh, fantastic, uh, Marie. Uh, uh, and before we close our conversation, do you do you remember an idea or something that you wish you knew when you first started uh, playing the organ that that you know now and uh, would have helped you? in the past. Can you share that? Well, I think that we um, touched on one thing a little bit earlier, is that um, just understanding the role of the organ in liturgy and the potential of the organ in liturgy in its um, dialogue. When I began to play the organ, um, I was already 13 or so, um, but I'd been playing the piano for several years, and I remember my earliest times at the piano were all improvisation. And so um, as soon as I started taking piano lessons, I continued to improvise a little bit, but the longer I studied piano and organ, uh, the more I became bound to the notes. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the past probably 20 or 25 years, um, I have uh, increasingly been committed 
to improvising and do a lot of improvising now. Uh, so my um, hope, if I had to um, say for those uh, studying the organ now, uh, and my one thing that I wish I had uh, kept going all the way through my career was uh, the art of improvisation, um, because it is the key thing that uh, really binds everything uh, together on on the organ, and uh, it just is. It gives you a lot of uh, freedom, a lot of um, flexibility, and uh, just really uh, helps your musicianship in in um, in so many ways. So uh, that would be the one thing that I would say to young people is to um, really keep improvisation side-by-side with repertoire. Fantastic, uh, Marie. I also agree with you wholeheartedly because um, uh, when people are bound to the music, to the notes, right, they, they sort of feel restricted and feel a little bit afraid, right, to wander around without the, sh- uh, the sheet music, without the, uh, p- p- you know, the, the, the music that composer wrote. And some, something happens, the music falls down, right, and you forget something, right? Uh, you, have to, you have to know how to handle the situation, of course, and this freedom comes with experience, though. But, uh, but it's not... Uh, it's not that scary actually the the bad things are not as bad uh, when when that happens mm-hmm. so uh, so my encouragement to, uh, for people like uh, who are afraid to do this right and and uh, trying to to play from notes is always just to imagine that they are having a conversation with the with the community musical conversation though and telling musical stories and that will be sometimes a revelation for people because then, yes, they can uh, imitate the things, imitate biblical stories and, and even fairy tales and uh, legends of various sorts of uh, uh, folks around the world. And that is a beautiful connection that people also understand also. So, very yeah. good idea. Very good. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Marie, for uh, being so generous with your time and your insights. And before we close our conversation now for real, can you give us uh, a link uh, where our listeners can connect with you and find more about you and your work online? The best place to go would be to the St. Cecilia Cathedral Ministry uh, Music Ministry site. So that is www.stceciliacathedralmusic.org. And so uh, S-T-Saint is not spelled out. www.stceciliacathedralmusic.org. I'll make sure I will include this um, uh, link into the description of this conversation so people will can find easily your your cathedral and your mu- wonderful music program. Thank you so much, uh, Marie, and have a wonderful, creative, and brave year ahead of you, and uh, stay healthy. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was a pleasure. If you liked this conversation... I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt 
where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vida Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.